What's up, everybody? Jay Miller here bringing another Productivity in Tech podcast. I am a podcast editor, video editor, content marketer, newsletter curator, business owner, entrepreneurial thing. We still haven't figured out the best word for all of that, but I'm hoping to get a little bit of help with that today from another member of the tech marketing community, Ledge from Gun.io, host of the Frontier Podcast. Ledge, how are you doing today? It's dope to be here, man. Thank you for having me. Dude, it is. it has been so awesome, like, just hearing about what Gun is doing and all the the chatter. I, I often talk to people that are in this Slack group that uh, I'm a part of and, and I know you're a part of. And everyone that I've talked to that you've had on your show has just said, like, they do it right. Like, they, they do the full treatment. <laughs> nice. Like, I, I feel like I'm going into a studio, like, professional. It's it, Everything is just done up the way that I think tech podcasting should be. So thank you so much for being a good ambassador for that space. Well, I certainly appreciate you saying that. I know, I know the team will be stoked. We have... Um... We put a lot of time, energy, money into, you know, what we do at the Frontier. It's been an awesome business asset. Uh, shout out to Taylor, who who runs all the promotional stuff, and Joseph, who is uh, an awesome audio producer and, you know, is the content and everything. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we have a whole team approach, right? So, you know, I get to be the, the voice and the guy who does interviews and love talking to people. Uh, but, you know, it's a, it's a team thing, and I, I think we – the service really that you're putting together will be very important for, for podcasters as well because, you know, you need to understand how much work there is to it. And also that hosting itself is a lot of work. You know, you um, not unlike, you know, your old school kind of radio stuff. I mean, I, I need to read everybody's books and all their articles and check them out on LinkedIn, you know, like be prepared to have a, an intelligent conversation about the things that the people are passionate about. And and then I get to have the, the luxury of a, a cool team that, you know, is grabbing all that raw content and turning it into, you know, solid landing pages and social posts and all that. I mean, if you're a solo podcaster, that's a lot of work. Like you need to build a team, which means, of course, you need like either sponsor backing or, or revenue backing, you know, to to come up with uh, the system to do that. So, you know, everybody should be thinking about that unless it, unless they're just a hobbyist and they, you know, like spending money and uh, talking to people. So. <laughs> I definitely get the uh, the nod towards uh, spending way too much money on certain things. Uh, so it's it happens, it's, you know. It's it's like death by a thousand cuts, you know. All the little SaaS tools and audio editing and whatever, and like every single minute you're spending on that, you know, you got to be sure that uh, I always think of it like our time is like the most limited asset, right? You know, like as an entrepreneur, I mean that's all you get, you know. So if you're like editing ums and ahs from your your audio and, and not out there selling business or, or doing work, like you're not, you're not billing. So, you know, just think about, think about the usage of your time and um, what money you should be making. And, and if you can make more than that with that hour, then, you know, go get it. You know, one of the things that uh, in one of the newsletters that I sent to our premium members, 
I talked about the first time I lost a client, not, you know, not one that, you know, turned me down at the door, but one that I had actually won a lead that I had won, did the work for. And by the end of it, they were like, yeah, you know what? Not for us. And that was something that I was totally not prepared for. Not only because, you know, the first time you lose something like that, you're like, oh, no, what did I do? What was, you know, did you have like all these different thoughts. But then after I finally just went and did a postmortem on it, I was like, I got effectively paid like three dollars an hour to work on their content. Ouch. Yeah. So at, at that tough. point, I was immediately like, huh. Kind of glad I lost that. Let's uh Well, right, right. Yeah, churn I'm glad you said like post mortem, you know, you you said you gotta do that churn analysis, right? And and um I think it's easy in a I've done a lot of services business and it's it's real easy to, you know, chase the revenue and just be stoked like anybody who's willing to send you a check like at all. And um you know you need to be careful with that, right? Because like the easiest clients to get are probably the ones that are like the worst clients, you know. So um, you know, always, always know your worth and the the work that you're willing to do, and kind of understand the the scoping of that, because you really will end up just kind of crushing yourself. And uh, it's probably a blessing that that happened then that they, you know, uh, self selected out. Definitely, and and you were talking about putting a team around the product that you have with the Frontier, but. That's in a way kind of what Gun.io is. I mean, uh, give give everybody like the elevator pitch for uh, Gun.io, the business as a whole. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, you know, the the podcast that we do is a big part of our content marketing strategy because we need to be, um, you know, promoting thought leadership around software engineering and, and the engineering leadership discipline. So that's the part that I work on. The business in general is focused on elite software freelancers. So these, you know, there's the highest end software engineers, uh, largely US, a lot of Canada, and also a lot of people from around the world. But, um, you know, I think there's a differentiating factor with a largely, uh, let's say, US and Western workforce there. And so, you know, on its face, it's not, uh, it's going to look a little bit like recruiting or uh, talent marketplace. And, you know, we're sort of like, I think of us as the, uh, you know, the black car service at the airport. And there's a lot of choices. You know, you could go with the Uber, you can go with, you know, the Lyft, or you can go with, you know, maybe that shady cab at the back of the line doesn't have tags on it, but you might get there alive, right? But <laughs> we're not sure this is going to be a safe ride. Um, so for people that you know, are really interested in, in quality software engineering, we have this insanely uh, deep, you know, sort of boot camp-like vetting process to even get in the community. And so, um, you know, the, the engineers go through three levels of interviews and code tests and uh, reference checks. And, you know, you can, you could check it out on gun.io for the uh, official process and flowchart, you know, kind of and all that. But I think what it, it does for the client is, is that you just have the trust that you are being placed with an engineer that's going to do it right the first time. You're gonna have an awesome experience. And, um, and what you find is it's not so expensive, you know, in air quotes, because when you do it right the first time, you don't have to do it again. And I think that there's a lot of cases where, you know, people kind of go, well, I'm going to go on, you know, site X, Y, or Z, and I'm going to book an engineer in, you know, some faraway country, and it's 25 bucks an hour. Like, that's so much cheaper, you know, again, air quotes. Uh, and I just encourage people that, 
Um, you know, in the same way that you could have a cheap set of brakes on your car, you know, maybe it's a, a better risk mitigation strategy to, to throw more, a few dollars at that so you don't run into a wall. And, you know, so, um, at any rate, you know, super senior software engineers, freelancers, and also, you know, freelance to hire, uh, if that becomes desirable for the, the client, you know, that we have opportunities where um, you could try before you buy kind of thing. So spend some time with a software engineer, and if you really dig it, uh, they're doing a great job, they mesh with your team, you know, then you, then you can convert them into a full-time employee, and uh, there's a lot of demand for that too. So. And, and it sounds like it's almost like a dual-sided uh, like a double-sided knife there because you've got the clients that are looking for experienced developers that are, you know, trusting you to provide them with those candidates. But then you also have all of those potential candidates that now you have to figure out, okay, out of this pool of 50, a hundred, a thousand people, who's going to be the, who are going to be the best potential fits for, this client and keeping both sides happy because, you know, if you have that mm -hmm. one person that is experienced and nothing seems to fit them, it's like, well, then why am I, why am I even dealing with this? But then at the same time, it's like, if you're throwing everything my way and none of these are good fits, then not only is the developer pissed off, but now the businesses are as well. Yeah. Yeah. You, you serve two masters. I mean, we're, you know, essentially in that middleman uh, position and, and you're right, that matching is, is huge. I and mean, we expend a lot of resources on, you know, first on the data side and the system side, there's a lot of technology, you know, in place there, what they call applicant tracking systems. Um, shout out to Lever. We use your system. We think it's hot. And, you know, so like everybody is, every applicant, and there's this big flow chart of kind of, you know, process management stuff that gets people into the system. And they're tagged in a hundred different ways with what technologies they work on and their experience and geography and, you know, all this different stuff. And so there's, there's really like a sort of a detailed data record over on the talent side. And then the same thing on the client side. So you're, you're working very closely in a personal way with, it's not just like they filled out a form and said, I want somebody to do X, Y, and Z. Like that's just the starting point. So then you get on a call with one of our reps and they're going to, you know, walk through like all the things you really need. So, you know, you're sort of technology stack and what are you building and what's your business and you know all that stuff right extra extra detail and then we can take that and that's all in your crm system you know i'm talking a little bit just for the business nerds out there like understand the, the workflow behind it um those things come together you know at, at the talent and, and sales team so uh, they're they're really doing a lot of that human work that can't be done by a machine you know you can't like auto match right like it's a personality fit soft skills fit experience um, time zone, you know, so like the, the bottom level stuff is what we know is these are great software engineers. And then you got to stack on top of that, what experience they have and have they worked at, you know, a particular type of company that I don't know, is it startup stage X and built something in the retail space and had to scale on such and such cloud platform. You know, there's a lot to it and we do that really fast, you know, so we do that like within a day and, and that's the system and the expertise that, that we built. Whereas in this market, you know, as a, as a hiring company, we hear from people all the time, like, well, I've had this job rack out for nine months. I can't advance my product roadmap. I can't hire anybody. We can get them like three candidates in a day that they can be on right now, like just like you are, I are on a video and audio and, and just chat with them and be like, yeah, is this fit there? And then, okay, start them out right away. So, I mean, 
it's all about speed and quality and, and balancing that out. And, uh, you know, check our reviews online and you can check it out. Like people dig it. It works out really well for them. So just wondering, and maybe this is, I know I'm, it's, it's a marketer talking to another marketer, <laughs> but we both have kind of that tech background. Mm-hmm. How, why not just be a dev shop? Why not just say like, hey, you've got a project, outsource it to us. We have the client base and, and continue to run the business the exact same way. But instead of saying, you know, these three engineers are now, they're, you know, contracted employees, you're just contracting them to do the project yourself. So you're asking why do we not do that business model? Right, because I mean yeah. that's 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 more the model that I, I am used to, I guess. You know, at least you know I'm in San Diego where mm-hmm. businesses we have a tech scene, but it's more of a corporate tech scene. Yeah, and often you will see these these factories almost, you know, just coding factories where you have yeah. like the the Ruby shops, the JavaScript shops, the I don't think there are that many Python shops. I wish there were. I'd, I'd sign up in a heartbeat. But you have businesses that say we don't want to have to deal with having all of these developers and having to deal with contracts and churn. So why don't we just hire a development team to come in, build the product, and then let them handle all of that tech side? You, you certainly could do it. And I'd say that's you know sort of an alternative approach. What you What we often find is, um, in fact, that is not as attractive as you think. You know, I think that that has a, has a sheen on it that sounds like a great idea. Let's just take our project and send it over there to the shop, you know, that can do all the things and hand it back and it'll be awesome. Um, you know, that might work in certain circumstances. What you often find is, as a company, you really, really need to have it together in terms of what you want, your business process and communication, decision-making process, you know, on and on and on and on. Most companies do not have it together enough to, to pull that off, right? And it's better to build a, a highly skilled and um, focused remote workforce, right? So I can bring in a, the best professional in whatever thing that is as a freelancer and have them work together on a team with the existing people that I already have, um, you, you see that the communication necessity of, of having to have your whole everything like super spec'd out, it, it's not going to work in a very agile fashion if you go out to, to a shop. I mean, look, there are great shops there. I would also say that the vetting process, the hiring process to get into most dev shops, quote unquote, is not going to rival what, what we do. And the developers that we work with are so elite and in this market can make so much money that there's no way they would ever go take a job at a dev shop because they're so, it's like saying that like, you know, I'm a pro athlete and I can get whatever I want. Like, why would I go play for the team that can't pay me as much? So I think somewhere in between that and a higher level quality sort of experience is what we're providing. I mean, these are just 10x like elite software athletes, and uh, sometimes that can be a hell of a lot more effective, and you get more done. And um, and also, you know, you don't have to have the overhead of uh, all that communication. And you know, like at a dev shop, you got to hire and pay for the project manager and the the product manager, and 
you know, you're covering the overhead of, you know, that big building that they're in and probably a pool table and their beer social on Friday. And, you know, it's like none of that crap exists. So like well over 70% of the dollars you're paying us is going straight into the developer's pocket. Whereas in the other scenario, it's like 30% because all the overhead. So would I rather deploy my capital to paying talent that can get it done on my own team versus, you know, outsourcing it. And, you know, the farther and farther you down, go down that pike, you're going to spend a lot more of your money on, you know, other crap that doesn't benefit you. So, um, you know, look, there's a lot of ways to, to skin the cat in this business, but uh, we just, we just try to think that we can put the best people right in front of you quickly. They can get to work and that's going to cut out a lot of waste and get a lot of work done for you. So you mentioned being that black car service and it's, it's very interesting that the approach, like you said, you know, if you're at an airport, you could be an Uber, you could be a shady cab driver, you could be just a, you know, yellow token driver or or whatever, but you know, your team excels because you provide the best you have of well you have a very thorough vetted uh, vetting process. And in that, I, I think the, maybe the criticism of some folks in the tech community would say, well, you're alienate, alienating all of the potential people that could learn and, and develop in that spot. And uh, what, what would you, you say to them? Because I mean, for me, it's like, our communities are very different. Your community is, I don't want to say exclusive, but it is a, it is exclusive by design. Like mm-hmm. we want the best because we are about business. This is more business than I would say community. Whereas, you know, the pit community is a place where if you've never written a hello world statement, you know, we're going to come in, bring you in, put you in front of people that might know, how to just do a print statement and that's mm-hmm. it, but then try to help grow and foster that education. Um, so I, I think that both are necessary. Totally. But what what is your thoughts as far as being so exclusive in the community? Yeah, you know, it's like, I don't know, I guess we have to be meaningful contributors to the the portion that, that we can. And obviously we're a business that needs to make, you know, profit and survive and, and uh, it's awesome to, on the one side, get all these, you know, elite people jobs. Um, you're right, you know, there, there needs to be ample opportunity for, for someone on a, a junior dev, mid dev, you know, what, what have you to advance their career. I think we know our responsibility is to, you know, publish great content, right? Anybody can consume all this worth, 200 something episodes of, of the podcast that we've invested in to, you know, provide a great educational asset. Um, likewise, you know, we, we sponsor conferences that are all about learning and, you know, try to invest in the community, sponsor meetups, you know, things like that. Uh, one of the recent episodes, you know, actually on the podcast, um, you know, was all about, uh, was with Lee Warwick about, you know, his, his tech junior efforts. And, uh, you know, we wanted to bring voice to that because he's doing some really interesting work around, you know how and when and where should I hire junior developers and prepare my senior developers to provide mentoring and, you know, all those things for it. So, you know, I would say that everyone who's building and designing an engineering team 
needs the kind of people that we have, and they also need the kind of people that, that we don't have. And um, you could get a lot of positive you know, sort of bang for your buck by hiring some junior developers and then having a really elite senior mentor type person that, that we deal with. So, you know, I think it's a important part of the equation, but it isn't, it isn't the whole thing. And, you know, I think all of us would sit around and be like, man, I wish we could, you know, have all the devs and do all the things and, you know, and, uh, you know, what can I say? It's not always a nonprofit, but we try to be meaningful contributors, you know, at least support the ecosystem. So, you know, the rising tide supports all boats. Definitely. And we just had Lee on the show as well. Really love what he's doing out there uh, down in Florida. But uh, yeah, and, and, and I think that's, you're right. We, we do have to have both sides of that. And uh, I'm, I'm making a note to myself. I need to uh, try to register the squirtgun.io domain. That way, <laughs> you know, if, if you can't get into gun, if you're not there yet, let's, let's get you there. You it's know? funny you say that because I've joked, I've joked before that we should have like bbgun.io. <laughs> You know? There you go. I, I mean, I think that would that would be a thing, and and that's that's one of the things I was I was thinking about. You know, before this conversation is, you know, your podcast does provide a look into the tech community, a look into what folks are doing, even if those people are not members of the Gun.io community, and. I, I think it is important that, like you said, that we we sharpen all of the skills. You know, we sharpen mm-hmm. the the beginner, we sharpen the intermediate, moving into seniority, sure. we sharpen the the seniors. Yeah. Uh, but I, I definitely want to ask because I've got a podcaster on. I, I interview a lot of podcasters, but I think this is one of the few podcasts or one of the few podcast hosts that work for a company that is paying them to do the podcast. Like that mm-hmm. is your job at, at gun.io. So how, how does that differ from, I don't know, the, the young Jay Miller four years ago, that's like, I want to do a podcast. Cool. Let's, we're going to be, we're going to be cool and sell Casper mattresses one day. And, <laughs> and like, you know, how, how does it differ when, the business is saying, hey, we have a voice that we want to promote. You are now effectively that voice. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I'll back out of the story because it's an interesting one. Um, I did do the, you know, sort of early Jay Miller, early Ledge version. I had a podcast. I think it's still out there. Uh, myself and a couple of partners. It's called Serious Startups. And we did, you know, some 50-something episodes. And we would, you know, we had grand visions of, you uh, we would interview, you know, startup founders and then we'd sell advertising and we'd make money and, you know, we're going to build a business out of a content business. And, um, you know, that becomes, you quickly realize like how difficult that is and, you know, monetizing. Uh, and that was pretty early on, you know, now I think it's, there's a little bit of an inflection point, but also there's so much saturation. So where it would have been hard to build before because there wasn't enough listeners now, it's probably hard to build and monetize because there's too many podcasts or, you know, an increasing number, just like, you know, the early stages of the web. This is like the audio web, you know, if you think about it. Um, so yeah, I did that, you know, I've been in that seat and appreciate that seat. I am not a marketer by trade. I have spent the last, uh, half a decade or more, more than I'm being, 
I'm making myself younger. No, it's been uh, 10 years that I have been in an entrepreneurial and sales seat. Um, so coming from uh, when I started with, with Gun, it was you know, quite, quite a few years ago, about five years ago almost. And um, I joined almost at a project management, contractor, operations kind of role and helped, helped uh, the other founders you know, kind of build up the business. And I took over sales because I thought that it needed to be done. And I never really did that. I had done a lot of enterprise technology sales, uh, but this was, you know, this was different. And, and I had to do the learning um, on the job and learn about all the things that we needed to do in the, in the tech staffing space. So that's to say I sat in the, the sales and sales leadership seat for three years and I started to, we had, you know, we had an interest in the company to kind of do the, the Google 20% kind of thing, you know, so what would be like your quarterly project? You know, we started doing that in 2017, 18. And I want, I was just interested in podcasting. I thought it would be fun to jump on and just start interviewing people who might be our clients or prospects or CTOs or, you know, hey, let's do some thought leadership content thing. And it was, it was not as strategically planned as, you know, I think now we could tell the story a different way. But, you know, the reality was it was like a side project. And I started doing it and it started getting some traction. And we kind of said, well, you know, that's interesting because this, this really is, could be a compelling part of our, our content strategy. And a business like us, you know, relies on a lot of inbound and content-driven marketing. You know, we need to be seen as the expert in the space in thing X, Y, and Z, and that we support the experts in the space. And the experts in the space want to work with us on both sides of the marketplace. So it is a good fit there. And um, earlier this year, you know, we said, you know, let's, let's go all in on this. And I appreciate the support of our leadership doing that. And I moved from the sales seat to the marketing team. I've never been on a marketing team in my life. This is like the only function that I have never done of any, any company. You know, I'm, a, I'm ops, finance, sales, you know, no problem. And I, I kind of was joking. I'm like, guys, I don't even know the vocabulary of this, you know, and I'm just, okay, like, can I, but you're saying I can network, talk and, and create great content. Like, okay, I know how to do that. Um, so yes, you know, it's, it, it's a, a blessed situation that a company wants to, you know, sort of be a, it's an in-house sponsor type of situation. You know, I mean, there's a, there's an operating cost, which includes myself and then the other people I talked about and the promotional costs and all those things. So we actually run it like an internal business unit. There's a PL for it. And, um, what has helped make that successful is I think that I used to be in the sales seat a lot. And so I can actually talk to guests and a number of times straight out of like an organic discussion, it'll be like, you know, we need to hire some engineers. Um, and then we'll have those discussions. So we actually have a direct sales attribution um, where it's like a 50 to 60% close rate. Now that's not to say 200 people, you know, it's like we can get a hundred clients from it, but just organic conversations that had happened. And we started tracking those um, from a PNL standpoint and the, the podcast um, has covered its covered its costs from a gross um, profit standpoint, which is really cool from a startup year because it, there's when you look at the the numbers that we that we had done, you know, there's about thirty thousand dollars of one time cost to build um, the the property, and and we covered that, and then and then we're able to fully cover the operating costs out of gross or like so net revenue at gross profit, not out of regular 
revenue, which is which is cool. Um, and we know that it has attribution value to the brand and uh, drives more traffic and things you just can't track, but you know when you do activities in the space, you get more business. We don't know how exactly to say which which things the podcasts are responsible for. So, uh, so that's the picture behind it, and I, I think that it. I think now looking at it a year later, it's been uh, a, a valuable business asset. So I would actually encourage uh, businesses, B two B, tech businesses with an established marketing kind of presence and a high LTV, like client value needs to be, you know, I think pretty high to afford doing a thing like this. Um, or, you know, superbly high volume to support a lower price product. So it, it could just be, you know, sort of the benefit of, of the, the situation that our business is in when your LTV is, is six digits on a client, you don't need as many clients to convert as you do if you're making 10 bucks a month, you know, sort of like as a SaaS business, right? Um, so I don't know if that answers the question, but yeah, it's a unique situation. We try to treat it as if, uh, you know, it, it at least behaves like a, a business that needs to be self-sustaining as, as part of the marketing mix. And uh, that might be the lessons that's most valuable to the other, you know, the podcasters who are kind of on your own is that you do need to have that sort of cost coverage and, and treat it like a business. No, definitely. And, and that's something that, you know, I'm, you know, Pitt as a business is still very young in its life cycle. I mean, we're not even a year old yet. And Pitt as a brand is not even, I think, not even five years old yet. So definitely still very, very young in how we do things, what we're trying to do. You know, it's funny. I, I had a call with, with a potential client the other day and they were like, so what do you do? And it was like, oh, well, in, in your case, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. get a, get a tighter provide. answer for that, man. Exactly. Absolutely. Well, and, and I think that's the hard part is, is for me, when someone asks me what is Pitt, I say Pitt is a is a boutique business. It is the idea of I don't want to say lifestyle brand or lifestyle business because what what does that even mean? But like it is the idea of I want to make things. I want to make things that encourage people. I want to make things that help other people make things. So mm-hmm. yeah, so for, it's a supporting source for people who want to be creative podcasters. Exactly. You know, all I want to do is talk to people, interview awesome dudes and women, and, you know, try to build a business around my expertise persona, let's say, right? Um, But I do, yeah, I do encourage you, you know, so I know enough about the positioning and marketing to, you know, so swing around on that and say, you know, benefits, not features, right? Like, it ain't about you. I want you to do some things that'll help me make money. And my number one, there's so... You know, 12 startups in and lots of sales and marketing exposure, at least, you know, it's like I have never gone wrong by thinking that the only thing anyone wants to do ever is make more revenue. And if you can figure out what you do to make somebody else money, that's going to be a safe spot to to be in. And I would I would suggest that I have, like I said, never gone wrong in any of my endeavors without, a, without just approaching it that way. I really think that no one wakes up in the middle of the night and goes, oh, I desperately need 
someone to take all this stuff off my plate for my podcast. You know, they wake up in the night and they say, I need to make a self-sustaining business with like revenue. Like I need more sales. And I think if you can address the thing, more revenue that gives people the headache in whatever way you do, that's the best position to be in, particularly as a services business. Definitely. And, and having that marketing behind it, I think is perhaps the most important thing, you know, being able to, like you just said, effectively communicate the message. And that is, what's in it for me, baby. If I'm going to send you money, I want to know what you're doing for me. Exactly. And And I want to know how you're going to make me more money. Um, and I think a lot of people position their business here as like, I'm going to save you costs. I'm going to make you more efficient, uh, blah, 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 blah. That's okay, but that's more profit. It's not more revenue. And you can dilute yourself into thinking, well, I provide people more profit. Well, that's awesome, except if they don't have any revenue, you're just a cost line and you're going to go, right? So it'd be better to always position it as like, if you make people more revenue, you can never ever go wrong because they can be as inefficient and messed up as possible underneath the line there and you still contributed and you're not going to go anywhere. And so it's a lot safer. I love that. It's, it's, it was, you know, this last five minutes was a true marketing workshop for me. So uh, let's get ready to wrap this thing hey, up. It's worth what you paid for it, dude. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, you know, an hour of my time. I love it. <laughs> Fun so, to be here. Uh, let's wrap it up with this. Uh, let everybody know how they can, uh, if they're interested in becoming a member of the Gun.io community, or if they want to check out, you know, the Frontier Podcast. Mm-hmm. Where can they go to to get all that information? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Gun.io is our URL, so nice and easy to remember. Um, the podcast is up there. I think it's uh, Gun.io/frontier. You can check that out. Obviously, we're on all of the you know, iTunes and Stitcher and every place you could possibly consume a podcast. We'd love if you subscribe, you know, and grow the audience there. I interview CTOs, VPs of engineering, software engineers, uh, dev advocates, you know, people like that. And, and a lot of people, you know, that are sharing a lot of useful stuff to develop your career. So I think for engineers, it's a really great resource. Um, if you are interested in being a, you know, a freelance software engineer, you, you should totally come on and, and apply. Even if you don't, reach the stage where you're immediately going to bill, you know, that might take a while, but, um, you will get, you know, anybody who's qualified gets put in our community where there's thousands and thousands of freelancers supporting each other. So there is that community give back, you know, type of situation. I definitely encourage come there and it's easy. I don't, there's the buttons change all the time, but you know, it's something like join as a freelancer or freelancer, something like that. It's going to be on the site and and real easy to apply. So totally worth it. Uh, but yeah, gun.io, um, we're on Twitter at, the Frontier Pod, and uh, everybody can look me up on LinkedIn. I accept all invitations and love to chat. So um, David Ledgerwood is the is the LinkedIn uh, URL ending for me, but you just Google me. It's easy to find. Awesome. All right. So before we jump into the after show, I got to thank everybody that's helping make stuff happen as well as uh, spit my social bona fides, I guess, if you will. So, uh, special thanks to Nadir Mawali for the use of his music, A Hustler, in spite of myself, for the intro and outro. And if you are looking to get a little bit more productive in your technology quest journey, whatever you want to call it, 
then consider becoming a member of the Pit community. It's 100% free, and we have resources for all kinds of people, whether you just want to get a nice little message from me in your inbox to whether you want to talk to people on a daily in our free Slack channel. And of course, if you want to get a little bit more, you can become a premium member. It's $10 a month or $100 a year. That gives you a direct line to me where I check in with you at least once a week in our Slack community, as well as access to our brand new Palapa Forum, where uh, right now we're doing a special promo. The first 100 people that join, join in absolutely free, free forever. Uh, we got to get some content up there. So go to Productivity and Tech for more information on that. If you want to chat with me, you can do so on Twitter at KJYMiller. And of course, you can follow Productivity and Tech at prod underscore in underscore tech. For myself, Ledge, Productivity and Tech, I'm Jay Miller. I hope you've been productive. And of course, a special thanks to all those premium members on to the after show.